it's Monday the 19th of December and welcome to Career 24. I'm your host, Kwon jang North Korea claimed that its rocket launch on Sunday was to test putting a military satellite into orbit, going against South Korea's assessment that the North launched two ballistic missiles. We'll have more in news briefing shortly. Last week, a government report revealed that over 3,300 people died so-called lonely deaths, mostly men in their 50s and 60s. We'll find out more for our in-depth today. And then coming up on Monday's Sports Roundup, we wrap up the World Cup and look at other Korean sporting updates in speed skating, swimming and more. Let's begin Career 24. North Korea started the week by announcing to the world that it launched a special satellite. The regime claims it's an important final stage test to develop the communist state's first spy satellite. However, South Korea has reiterated that it assessed North Korea to have launched two mid-range ballistic missiles over the weekend. For more on this story and our other headlines from today, I'm joined in the studio by KBS World Radio's news editor, Daniel Che, who will be seeing more on a regular basis now. Daniel, hello. Hey, Jang, good to be here with you again. Yes. So a recon satellite, that is a key military capability coveted by North Korea's leader. Uh, North Korea seemed eager to show the world its latest breakthrough via photos taken using what it called a test piece satellite. Can you tell us more? That's right. That's what we're hearing from North Korea. This is apparently one of the high-tech systems Pyongyang is hungry to have in its arsenal. It's a media release, low-resolution black-and-white photos showing a space view of the South Korean capital in Incheon. So apparently it's an attempt to display that it's pushing hard to quickly acquire a surveillance tool to monitor the South. The rocket carrying the test satellite was launched Sunday to assess the satellite's photography and data transmission system, according to the North Korean regime. This is reportedly an important final phase test for the development of a re- satellite. The goal is to complete the development by early next year. And on Sunday, South Korea's Joint Chief of Staff detected the launch of two mid-range ballistic missiles from the Tongchangli area in North Pyongyang province toward the East Sea. And the JCS maintained its assessment that North Korea fired mid-range ballistic missiles on Sunday, despite the North's claim that they launched a vehicle carrying a test piece satellite. Uh, unlike the JCS's anal- analysis, the KCNA quoted a spokesperson for the North's National Aerospace Development Administration as saying that a vehicle carrying a mock satellite was fired at the loft angle of 500 kilometers from Sohae Satellite Launching Ground. This is reportedly to evaluate the regime's capability of satellite imaging, data transmission, and ground control system, and the regime said it will complete preparations for the launch of its first military spy satellite by April, so they have the ambition and the goals there. North Korea claimed even the Hwasong-17 ICBM firing in February and March were tests to develop spy satellites. No mention was made of whether its leader Kim Jong-un guided the Sunday launch. He was absent in Saturday's event as he was at the Kumsuzan Palace of the Sun to mark the 11th anniversary of the passing of his father, Kim Jong-il. Now, last week, as we approached the weekend before the North's latest provocation, Japan claimed that it will not seek Seoul's approval for a counterattack capability against North Korea. Uh, now we have the response from South Korea's top office to this comment. 
Yeah, first a brief recap of what Japan has been doing and its uh, national defense decision last week that started it all. On Friday, the Japanese government approved three key defense and security documents, including a new national security strategy, declaring plans to secure counter-strike capability to improve defense against threats from China and North Korea, according to them. A Japanese government officials emphasized Japan's self-defense right, that it will not ask for permission from another country over the matter and will judge things by itself. Regarding this, South Korea's presidential office rather believes this is a matter that can be discussed within the frame of trilateral security cooperation involving the U.S., of course. A presidential official relayed the top office's stance. North Korea poses a threat to both South and Tokyo, and so Japan is in deep thought on self-defense measures right now, which is understandable. But they also did mention that Japan should hold close consultations or seek prior consent from South Korea regarding important issues directly linked to security of the peninsula or Seoul's national interests. Now, one South Korean military official also highlighted the importance of Tokyo first gaining Seoul's approval on plans to carry out such offensive maneuvers against Pyongyang. Yeah, because the strategy of beefing up missile defense system in phases in order to have the capability to strike the source of missiles from China and North Korea marks a major shift in Japan's security policy. The South Korean military and government are reportedly analyzing its possible effects on the Korean peninsula. The South Korean government and military feels it's imperative that Japan secure Seoul's approval before an attack on North Korea as the constitution defines North as part of South Korean territory. Turning to the U.S.'s government's response, meanwhile, Washington welcomed Japan's security strategy shift towards stepping up defense capabilities. That's right. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan sees it as a bold and historic step and something that will modernize the U.S.-Japan alliance. He believes the new strategy reinforces the Japanese prime minister's deep commitment to international peace and nuclear nonproliferation and sets the stage for Japan's leadership in 2023 as it takes a seat in the UNSC and hosts the G7. And meanwhile, Secretary of State Antony Blinken welcomed Japan's move, saying that alliances and partnerships are the most important strategic asset and that Japan's new documents reshape the ability of their alliance to promote peace and protect rules-based order in the Indo-Pacific region and around the world. Okay, let's uh, shift our focus now to some sporting action. The World Cup came to a close, but with a huge exclamation mark with two titans of the sport clashing for greatness. Argentina versus France. Avid Team France supporters might have been heartbroken, but uh, neither side disappointed true football aficionados. It was a game for the ages. Some would even say was one of the best World Cup finals we've seen in decades. Argentina mm. lifted the 2022 Qatar World Cup trophy with a score tied up at three, even after extra time. Messi's squad won on penalties on Sunday. The defending champs came up short 4-2 in a penalty shootout. Argentina is the winner for the first time in 36 years. A third World Cup title following 1978 and 1986, the first title for Latin America since 2002. Yes, a historic achievement. We'll talk more about it for our Monday Sports Roundup segment coming up later in the show. Now, back here in South Korea, we're seeing many aspects of lives returning to pre-pandemic environment. Uh, One big question is the possible changes to the indoor mask mandate that still remains here. So what are some of the latest developments on this front? Well, the government is reportedly considering making some changes many people would welcome here, of course, for a number of reasons. They're reviewing the option of gradually lifting the existing indoor mask mandate in two phases, according to 
multiple quarantine and health authorities on Sunday. The government is expected to begin lifting mandatory mask wearing in most locations. Wearing them would be something that's recommended. The mandate will be remaining intact for high-density locations or those concerning high-risk groups. The dual system could be enforced as early as mid-January, after which the mandate could be completely lifted eventually. But before reaching a decision, though, or even after plans are set on related guidelines, authorities will make adjustments in accordance with a number of indices such as daily virus cases, bad operation and the fatality rate, as these figures are used to create a forecast model. Uh, discussions on the matter is held on Monday, and the government is expected to announce the final adjustment on Friday. However, the latest coming from the health minister is that it's difficult to specify a time to lift the indoor mask mandate for now exactly, considering the uncertainty of the COVID-19 wave. Staying in South Korea, the government has decided to extend fuel tax cuts, which were set to expire at the end of the year. Now it's on until next April. But uh, can you provide us uh, with a thorough breakdown of the numbers exactly? Yes, the decision was revealed in a plan release on Monday on such taxes and individual consumption tax on passenger vehicles for the first half of 2023. The government will maintain a 37% tax reduction cap on diesel and LPG, which was introduced in July. But the maximum legal cap of fuel tax cuts for gasoline will be lowered from 37% to 25 Taking into consideration our domestic gasoline prices, which showed signs of stability compared to diesel prices, and the latest plan also involves extending a 30% cut in individual consumption tax on passenger vehicles by another six months to next June, that is, part of efforts to boost consumption. With that, consumption tax levied when purchasing a new passenger car will be slashed from 5% to 3.5. Next, we go all the way to the moon because South Korea's first lunar orbiter, Tanuri, has successfully completed its first lunar orbit insertion or LOI maneuver to enter the moon's orbit. So, can you tell us more about this latest accomplishment? Yeah, the Korea Aerospace Research Institute and the Science Ministry made the announcement on Monday. One researcher even said that Tanuri has now become a true lunar orbiter. The LOI is a complex maneuver. It involves lowering the speed of the spacecraft while committing it to the gravity of the moon, something that's necessary to achieve a lunar orbit altitude of 100 kilometers. The first round, which occurred on Friday, is regarded as one of the most important processes. There will be four further rounds of LOI maneuvers. The ones coming up are scheduled to be carried out on Wednesday, so not too far away. We will have to wait until next Thursday, though, to get confirmation of whether Tanuri has successfully settled into orbit, because once that step is completed, Tanuri will embark on its year-long mission to collect lunar surface data from January. Yes, we wish it luck on its final LOI maneuvers. We'll wrap it up there for our news briefing. Thank you for those updates. Thank you for having me. I'll talk to you again soon. A grim report was released by the Ministry of Health and Welfare last week. According to the report, over 3,300 people died so-called lonely deaths in South Korea last year. A lonely death, or kodoksa in Korean, refers to when someone dies alone after leading an isolated life and remains undiscovered for a period of time. The report also said the number of such deaths has been on the rise every year. 
To take a deep dive into this phenomenon, we're joined on the line now by Seo Ji Eun, a reporter for the Korea Jiang Daily, who has been reporting on this story. Ms. Ha, hello and welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. First off, could you give us uh, more details about the Welfare Ministry's latest report? Uh, what did the report show? Sure. So Korea's Ministry of Health and Welfare surveyed the status and characteristics of lonely deaths over the past five years and announced the results last Wednesday. And it is the first time that a government body has investigated such deaths. So under South Korean law, as you explained, a lonely death is when someone who lives alone, um, who is cut off from family or relatives, dies due to suicide or illness with their body found only after a certain amount of time has passed. So according to the government's data, um, more than 15,000 people died as lonely deaths over the past five years. And if we look at some key features from the data, the number of lonely deaths is increasing significantly every year. Um, There are far more lonely deaths reported among men than women. And middle-aged and elderly men appear particularly at risk. So if we look um, deeper into it, first, the number of lonely deaths has grown at an an average annual rate of 9% over the past five years. And of all deaths last year, lonely deaths accounted for 1.1%, which is um, quite high. Mm. And... By gender, um, lonely deaths among men were reported four times higher than that of women every year. And in fact, this gap is widening. And the number of men suffering lonely deaths was 5.3 times higher than that of women in 2021, which was up from four times previously. And uh, by age, six out of 10 people who died alone over the past five years were male in their 50s and 60s. And people in their 20s and 30s accounted for 6% to 8%. And um, for the site of lonely deaths, the majority of cases occurred in relatively cheaper houses, including um, low-rise apartments called villas and uh, multi-complex houses. So that was then followed by apartments and flats. So um, apart from the poor living conditions, um, these types of houses also carry the risk of further isolations. And uh, at last, the cases caused by suicide accounted for more than 15% among lonely deaths every year. So, um, and more than half of the lonely deaths reported in their 20s were actually caused by suicide. Mm. So some very upsetting figures there that have been revealed in that report. Uh, As we said, uh, 3,378 deaths last year. That means uh, nine Uh, people every day in Korea last year passed away without anyone noticing that they were gone. But perhaps looking at the bigger context, is this a problem unique to Korea? Is the problem of lonely deaths also seen in other countries? If so, how are they dealing with this problem? Yes, so actually lonely deaths is no longer a strange phenomenon and it is prevalent in many developed countries. So factors behind the trend include um, traditional family structures breaking down, elderly single households increasing, and the COVID-19 pandemic that led to more daily routines taking place in a non-face-to-face manner. And uh, Japan is actually one of the first to contend with the lonely death phenomenon. 
So loneliness has long been an issue there, and it is often discussed alongside、um, hikikomori. So in Japan, about thirty、uh, thousand people die in solitary deaths each year, which is known as kudokushi. And Japan has appointed a minister of loneliness in an attempt to reduce loneliness and social isolation among its residents as the country deals with rising suicide rates.、Um, Actually, the minister is also in charge of dealing with Japan's declining birth rate and promoting regional revitalization to oversee government policies to deal with loneliness and isolation.、Um, and Japan has also worked to create other、um, far-reaching solutions to this issue. So I wanted to mention a bear paw cafe, or、um, it is like a literal hole-in-the-wall cafe. And this place employs people with mental difficult、um, mental difficulties such as hikikomoris, and it provides the recovery of employees through limited contact with others. And、uh, mm. there's also、um, the UK, which was the first country actually to appoint a loneliness minister in 2018.、Mm. And Australia has、um, also considered creating a similar position. Okay. With all that in mind, then let's turn back to the situation here in South Korea.、Uh, what are the major factors that are said to have been contributing to the rise in lonely deaths in South South Korea? Why is this happening? So、um, there are many different factors behind solitary deaths, but many experts cite social deprivation due to the increase in single-person households as the main cause. So, single-person households in Korea take up around 30% of the total, and these households are, have relatively weaker conditions in housing,、um, jobs, and relationships than other households consisting of two or more people. And it is now estimated um, that um, solitary deaths are likely to occur, especially in involuntary single-person households, due to、um, unemployment or divorce. And、uh, there's also a term called social isolation. And according to Statistics Korea's report, which was released earlier this year, social isolation refers to having no one to turn to for help in times of crisis, or when ill, or、um, in need of assistance. And the index on social isolation topped 34% last year, which was the highest. Since the survey was launched in 2009, and、uh, Koreans were finding themselves feeling isolated in society twice as much than in other countries. What was also particularly striking about this report、uh, was that it seemed、uh, men in their 50s and 60s are far more affected uh, than uh, other demographics.、Uh, People in their 50s and 60s accounted for about 60% of the entire lonely deaths last year. Not only that, by gender, the number of、uh, lonely deaths in men was 5.3 times higher、uh, than that of women in 2021. What could be the reasons behind these factors? So, what are people saying? Um, first, um, as for why men, especially middle-aged men, account for the majority of lonely deaths in Korea. The health ministry cited many of those at risk found their life satisfaction rapidly um, declining due to job loss and divorce, especially if they were unfamiliar with healthcare and housework. So generally, this age group of 50s and 60s, um, this age group is known to be the most active in economic activities, but 
as we know, in Korea, many retire after the 50s. And after these retirements are, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, um, these retirements are often involuntary. So mm. retired South Korean men are prone to social isolation, believing they have lost their value with the loss of their economic strength. Mm. And uh, studies suggest men have weaker social connections compared to women. So, I mean, men usually form social connections in the workplace. So outside their work, they are likely to have weaker ties with family or with neighbors than um, women have. So um, the patriarchal system and organizational culture are also another issue as uh, they are still prevalent among male in their 50s and 60s. And many fathers I know uh, around me, for example, aren't accustomed to communicating with their young children. So after their retirement or loss of job, males tend to be more detached from social connections. Hmm. Right. So this is also perhaps not a a new phenomenon. This is something that Korea has been aware of for some time, which is why this uh, report was commissioned in the first place. Uh, But the rate at which it has been growing uh, has been shocking quite a lot of people. And having the numbers laid out like this in this report is quite perturbing as well. So how has the South Korean government been dealing with this situation? Uh, Are measures being uh, taken? Um. Right. So rising public concern over lonely deaths did prompt various regional and national initiatives over the years. So, um, for example, in 2018, the Seoul Metropolitan Government announced a neighborhood watcher program in which community members pay visits to single person households in vulnerable areas such as basement apartments or, um, and subdivided housing. And under this plan, how, um, hospitals, landlords, and convenience store staff play the role of the so-called watchmen, and they notify community workers when patients or regular customers are not seen for a long time or when rent or other kinds of fees go unpaid. Mm. And uh, so there are several other cities like um, Ulsan and Jeonju. They have rolled out mobile apps for those living alone, which automatically send a message to an emergency contact if the phone is inactive for a period of time. And uh, um, the Lonely Death Prevention and Management Act was passed last year, and uh, it ordered local governments to set up policies to identify and assist residents at risk. And apart from establishing this report, The ministry also required the government to write up a comprehensive preventive plan, which is still in the works. But the problem is the budget, actually. Um, Korea's total budget set for um, the prevention and management of wounded deaths is um, around 60 billion won, which is not that much compared to other countries. So the support measures are not very unique or um, very detailed. So experts point out that social isolation tends to be spotted before physical isolation. So not only the government, but also neighbors and communities should work together to prevent anyone from being extremely isolated and cut off. So, for example, um, other organizations such as churches and nonprofits, they have set up um, outreach services and community events as well as handling funeral rights for the deceased who have nobody left to claim or mourn them. So 
Um, so not only the government, but also these kinds of um, neighbors and communi- communities can work together to prevent the rise of um, lonely deaths in Korea. Right. So a multifaceted approach is perhaps the government and the local society needs to work together. But it continues to be a difficult challenge, difficult situation to address this. And sadly, we are expecting this phenomenon to continue in the years to come, right? Mm-hmm. So as I mentioned earlier, um, lonely deaths often occurred in single-person households. And statistics show that these households are more likely to emerge as a lonely and Uh, as a um, lonely environment, as it is difficult for the people living alone to form, of course, social ties through communication with other people. And uh, this psychologically isolated environment amplifies loneliness and puts at risk of dying alone. Yet um, Korea is still seeing a rise in such single-person households, especially among um, young people. And uh, in addition, Korea has long been facing demographic decline, with people having fewer babies and giving birth later in life. And the country's birth rate has been dropping steadily since uh, 2015. And at the same time, the elderly population is ballooning. So with the country in preparation for a super-age society, um, it is likely that such a phenomenon will continue in the years to come. You mentioned how the government is uh, trying to tackle this issue and how other countries have been tackling it. But what other ideas or immediate uh, measures are being suggested to try and prevent uh, more lonely deaths? Uh, Is this phenomenon something that can be prevented by strengthening the uh, social safety net? Well, I believe the most important thing in preventing lonely deaths is securing the economic minimal income. So Korea is one of the leading countries facing an aging society with millions of senior residents struggling to survive on their own. So as of 2016, almost half of Koreans aged over 65 were under the poverty line, which is more than three times the national average of other OECD countries. So although economic stability does not guarantee happiness, Having a minimum um, economic income is needed in order to satisfy a certain part of um, a lifestyle. So the basic old age pension was first introduced in 2008, and that was when President Lumuyan was in office. And that actually helped to bring down the elderly suicide rate. And uh, the Seoul Welfare Center wrote in a 2021 study that the lives of middle-aged and elderly Koreans rapidly um, deteriorate if they are excluded from the labor and housing markets, and this is a major cause of death. Mm. And in another study published um, this November, um, the Seoul Welfare Center recommended authorities to create more systems of support for those trying to get back on their feet including education, um, training, and counseling programs for the middle-aged and elderly. So for women, they can often work as um, nannies or um, work in restaurants. Although these are very low-wage, high-intensity labor, mm. still women are, um, you know, relatively, uh, they can find relatively um, uh, easy jobs um um, to survive on their own. But in the case of middle-aged men, there are far fewer jobs available for them to work. 
So without the social safety net and, um, you know, some kind of form that guarantees basic income for the elderly, we are likely to face a more severe crisis in the welfare situation. Yes, this report raises a lot of uh, uncomfortable questions that the government and Korean society as a whole will have to try and answer. Ms. Hart, we appreciate you walking us through this issue today. Uh, we'll leave it there. We've been speaking to reporters Ha ji from the Korea Juang Daily. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index fell 7.85 points, or 0.33% on Monday, closing the day at 2,352.17. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also fell, losing 0.19 points, or 0.03%, to close the day at 717.22. On the foreign exchange, the local currency strengthened 2.51 against the dollar, ending the day at 1,302.91. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We continue on now to Korea Trending, our daily segment, looking at some of the other news headlines that have been trending online. And for that, we have Walter Lee joining us in the studio today. Walter, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Chang. It's always good to see you. Okay, so what topics do you have for us today? Okay, so first we'll talk about No Soyoung, the wife of SK Group Chairman Choi Tae-won, appealing a court's divorce ruling that was issued early this month. We'll also find out about the ruling a Chuncheon court made regarding a man in his 20s for stalking a mother and her son. And finally, we'll learn about the new train announcements being made in Korean in Paris, France. Okay, so we start with a high-profile divorce case. Can you tell us more? Yeah, so No So-young, the wife of SK Group Chairman Choi Tae-won, has appealed a court's divorce ruling issued earlier this month. Now, No's legal team said on Monday they, that they cannot accept the Seoul Family Court ruling issued on December 6th, which ordered Choi to pay 66.5 billion won in property division and an alimony of 100 million won. The court, however, excluded Choi's holding company share from the property division. Okay, so that's about 51 million US dollars worth in property division and 77,000 US dollars in alimony. Mm. So what was Noor's argument in appealing the court ruling? Well, she is demanding half of Tre's 17.5% stake in the group's holding company. Now, Noor argued that the shares were not inherited from or gifted by Tre's late father and former group chairman Tre Jong-hyun, but were purchased for 280 million won in 1994 during their 34 year marriage. Now, she emphasized that Tre was unable, uh, was able to increase the value of the shares to over 2 trillion won through management activities, which she contributed to uh, by giving her support as a wife. Yes, yeah, so 2 trillion won is about 1.5 billion US dollars. So the uh, 51 million dollars in property division fell very far short of what she was demanding. Uh, so how long was this high-profile couple married for exactly? You said 34 years, right? Yes, that's correct. So Tre, the head of the nation's second-largest conglomerate, and No, the daughter of late former president No Teu, married in 1988 and had three children. In 2015, Tre admitted to having a child out of wedlock and filed for divorce, a divorce settlement two years later, citing irreconcilable differences. Now, after failing to come to an agreement, No filed for divorce in 2019, demanding 300 million won in 
alimony in addition to half of Tre's share in SK, as I mentioned earlier. Yes, the initial ruling was met with some controversy, especially when uh, compared with some high-profile divorces cases in the West, mm. uh, such as the multi-billion-dollar divorce settlement between Jeff Bezos and mm. the Amazon founder. Uh, the uh, so Jeff Bezos, the Amazon founder, and Mackenzie Scott. Uh, but I guess we'll see how this case uh, goes in the appellate court in the meantime. Right, I believe we have another controversial court ruling for our second story. What more can you tell us? Yes, that's correct. So a Chuncheon court has given a suspended sentence to a man in his 20s for stalking a mother and her son. According to the legal sector on Sunday, the Chuncheon District Court sentenced the man to six months in prison, suspended for two years for violating the nation's anti-stalking law. Now, the man was also ordered to attend 40 hours of a stalking prevention course. So what's the relationship between the stalker and the victims? Actually, none at all. They're total strangers. So the man is accused of terrorising the 29-year-old woman and her 10-year-old son by following them on four occasions between May 23rd and June 1st of this year. Now, most of the incidents occurred near bus stops in the victim's apartment in Yanggu County in Kawan Province. It turns out the man had also spoken to the victims, asking which apartment they live in, and even inquiring if the woman would marry him once he completes his mandatory military service. Right, so he has been convicted, but he won't be spending jail time for now. Why did the court decide to issue a suspended sentence for this case? Well, citing that the man has terrorised the victims and did not gain their forgiveness, the court said the perpetrator has expressed remorse for his actions. Also in reaching its decision, the court said it took into account that the man has uh, intellectual disability. So the controversy in this ruling, of course, stems from the fact that the victim will likely feel unsafe knowing that the convicted suspect still knows where she lives Mm. and it falls on the victim to move home to feel safe, I guess. Uh, We certainly hope that the man is remorseful and has changed his ways, but there is certainly uh, no guarantee. Right. Let's move on to our final story for the day. What else do you have for us today? Yes, so train announcements warning visitors to be careful of pickpockets are being made in Korean on Paris Metro Line 1 and in stations near popular tourist spots as of last Friday. The South Korean embassy in France said it agreed with France's state-run public transport operator, RATP, to add the announcements in Korean. The messages will be made on all trains operating on Paris Metro Line 1, which links major tourist spots, and in stations located near the Eiffel Tower, the Champs-Élysées, the Louvre Museum, Place du Chalet, the Sacre Coeur Basilica, and Place du Trocadero. Okay, so how often will these announcements be made? Will the announcement be on all the time? Uh, no, they will be made until the first week of the new year during winter and summer vacation periods and spring ba- uh, the spring break Sorry, when the French capital sees a surge in international tourism. Now, it marks the first time ever for such announcements to be made in Korean. I see. What other languages are these warnings made on the Paris Metro? Well, English, German and Spanish, as well as Japanese, are also other languages. The latest move comes after the South Korean embassy requested RATP to add announcements in Korean, citing a recent rise in pickpocket cases targeting Korean tourists. An embassy official said the embassy received more than 20 reports of pickpocketing in one week alone during this this summer vacation period, adding that the number of victims is likely to be much larger when considering those who didn't report their cases to the embassy. Mm. Now, meanwhile, South Korea's ambassador to France Yu Dae-jong visited the RATP headquarters last Friday and said that the fact the announcements are now being made in Korean signifies the rise in South Korea's soft power. 
Yes, well, it's certainly impressive to think that South Korea has enough soft power to uh, have Korea and be heard on the Paris Metro. It would have been nicer for something less unfortunate. Right. But nevertheless, I guess we can look at it in a half, uh, glass half full sort of way. Uh, we'll leave it there for today's Korea Trending. Thank you for those stories, Walter, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Next up, it's Monday Sports Roundup, our weekly segment looking at the latest sporting updates, results and previews. And we do that with the help of our trusted contributor, sports reporter Yu Ji-ho from the Yonhap News Agency. Ji-ho, hello. It's uh, great to have you on as always. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Great to be here too. Well, there's only one place to start today, even though it is outside our usual remit of career-related sports stories, and that is the final of the Football World Cup on Sunday. We cannot not talk about this today because of the sporting historical significance and because it was such an epic final. Argentina came out on top against France to be crowned world champions after a six-goal thriller and then penalties. And it also meant that superstar Lionel Messi completed his trophy cabinet with the biggest footballing prize of them all that had eluded his sparkling career. So, Gio, we'll not linger on it too long but can you sum up for mm-hmm. us what happened yeah it was just a rebating final wasn't it and uh, I guess the football gods really smiled upon uh, Lionel Messi I guess the god of football on earth uh, he's one of the greatest of all time and I think winning this World Cup and being named the uh, the best player of the tournament winning the golden ball really cemented his legacy as you know possibly greatest of all time hmm. uh, you know he's won a whole bunch of other individual accolades and won a whole bunch of other trophies at the club level but uh this is his first and i guess potentially his last world cup as well so uh, world cup title that is and uh you know back in uh if you recall the first match the argentina played i, I was actually covering the match against saudi arabia they lost the match to <laughs> one and i don't know if anybody really thought at that point that argentina were going to win the world cup um, you know, they're thinking about trying to get past the group stage at that point. So to go from that to beating the defending champions, France, on penalties, um, what, what a what a storybook ending uh, to this tournament and quite possibly to Messi's uh, World Cup career. Now, he did say he will keep on playing as a world champion for a bit. So he's not retiring from international play at the, at the t- for the time being. But, uh, I mean, if it, if indeed this was his final World Cup, I mean, what a way to go out, right? Uh, sure. Talking about going out on top, it's the ultimate prize, winning the ultimate prize finally, and uh, it was just, you know, I, I guess Argentina was the sentimental favorite for a lot of people, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, the way they performed, uh, I guess, kind of being forced into the extra time at the, uh, late, late in the second half, but coming out on top at the end, uh, just really a compelling final, and one of the most exciting ones in recent memory. Sure, and it's pretty much undisputed now, right? Messi as the GOAT, the greatest oh, no of all time. Oh, no question for me, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, until yesterday, he'd always been compared to other, the other great Argentinian star, Maradona, who'd won the World Cup before. And it seemed uh, Messi would always fall short in some people's eyes because he hadn't achieved that. But now there's basically no blemish to his career. No, I mean, and plus the fact that Messi didn't score with a hand. So, you know, <laughs> he scored with his feet. And I guess, I don't know if he scored on a header, I don't think, but he scored with, with his feet mm. the whole time. So, uh, yeah, so he didn't do anything uh, shady 
Uh, during the run to the top. Well, it's an incredible end to an incredible World Cup uh, on the pitches, at least. And uh, I wish I could be in Argentina right now to uh, soak in what I'm Mm. sure is an incredible atmosphere. Uh, Well done to Argentina and Messi, the greatest of all time. Okay, so let's uh, bring things down a bit then, especially as we are going to be taking a look at some alternative sports today with some of the uh, major sports seasons over for the year in Korea, starting with speed skating. Now, South Korea's Kim Min-sun is undefeated in the women's 500 metre this season. She won her fourth consecutive World Cup title over the weekend in Canada. And I understand she broke her personal best in the process as well, ji Yeah, and she's done it in back-to-back weeks, actually. So she won the women's 500-meter title at the fourth World Cup stop in Calgary on Friday local time at a time of 36.96 seconds. Just a week prior to that, uh, she posted 36.972 seconds on the same ice at Calgary Olympic Oval uh, in the third World Cup. So she's now won four World Cup titles in a row in the 500 meters. And you can also, also throw in... Her four continents title earlier this month in Quebec City, also in Canada. So there's five competitions, five straight victories in the 500 meters for Kim Min-sun. And uh, in her latest victory, she was the only skater to break 37 seconds. And the reigning Olympic silver medalist Miho Takagi from Japan uh, finished finished the runner-up to Kim at 37.26. And also Beijing gold medalist Aaron Jackson from the U.S. was third this time. 37.35. 37.35. So there's a major gap if you talk about a sprint event 500 meters to beat anybody by 0.3 seconds. That's pretty huge. And, uh, you know, Kim Min-sun, at this point, she's chasing the world record currently held by her mentor and former Korean star Yi Sang-hwa at 36.36 seconds. Um, so Kim Min-sun right now also halfway to Yi Sang-hwa's record of 10 consecutive World Cup victories uh, that was set from 2013 to 2014 season. Right, so some big shoes to fill, and that's quite a scary record to try and catch, but uh, Kim is showing impressive form indeed so far. Now let's turn to swimming, because the Korean teen swimming phenom Hwang Sonu defended his 200-metre freestyle title at the World Short Course Championship in Melbourne on Sunday. He set both the Asian record and the competition record as well, and Jiho, I understand that he did this uh, all the while battling through a finger injury. Yeah, I mean, he, he almost didn't actually make it to the final, but we're going to get to it in a moment. So Huang defended his gold medal in the World Championship held in a 25-meter pool, uh, which is half the length of the, uh, the Olympic-sized 50-meter pool. He posted a time of 1 minute 39.72 seconds. Uh, again, that's the Asian record and also competition record. And he was the only swimmer in the final to break 140. Uh, he's the, uh, he defeated reigning long course world champion from Romania, David Popovich. Uh, you know, he was a distant runner-up, finishing 1.07 seconds behind Huang in the mm. final. And the Olympic gold medalist in the 200-meter free, Tom Dean from Britain, he was another 0.07 second back in third place. So the victory in itself and of itself is quite impressive for Huang Sonu, but even more so when you when you consider that, like I said earlier, he almost didn't compete in the final. He sprained his right middle finger during the heat while touching the pad. I, you know, he had some, some big swelling. Uh, it wasn't a lot of pain, so he had to take a cortison shot just to get to the final. Mm. And also, he was the eighth in the final qualifier 
by one-tenth of a second. So he ended up in the eighth lane, which is never ideal because you're in the one end of the pool. You don't have anybody on one side. Uh, it's not ideal, but uh, he somehow defeated two of the very best in the 200-meter freestyle to win his second straight short course world title. Yeah, he's on impressive form as well. It looks like he's uh, solidly building up to the Paris Olympics in 2024 as well. Let's finally look to volleyball. In the Korean Women's Volleyball League this year, we have an undefeated team at the top of the standings, as well as, unfortunately, a winless team bringing up the rear. They played each other on Sunday. So, Jiho, how did it play out? So he played out exactly, I think, a lot of people, the way a lot of people had expected it to play out. Uh, the best team shutting down the worst team in the league, Hyundai ENC over Pepper Savings Bank in straight sets, 25-17, 28-26, and 25-20. And Hyundai extended their record winning streak from the start of a season to 14. So they recently broke their own previous mark of 12 straight victories from the beginning of a season. They're now one win away from tying the record for the longest winning streak at any point in a season with 15. You know, they won 15 in a row last season. Now they can tie it with the next victory. But at the other end, uh, Paper Savings Bank has stretched their dubious record of longest losing streak to start a season to 15. Uh, you know, they led actually 18 and 14 in the second half on the verge of tying the match and possibly swing the momentum in their favor. Uh, but Hyundai rallied to take a 24-21 lead. Uh, Pepper Savings rallied for, to, to force the deuce. But uh, at 26-26, Hyundai getting two straight points to take the set. And then they went on to close out the match in the third set. Uh, Yasmin Badargani from, from Hyundai had a, a match-high 38 points. Uh, in the absence of their middle blocker, Yang Hyojin, who was uh, diagnosed with COVID-19 last Thursday. So she's out of action for some time. Mm. But uh, everybody else is really picking up the slack and uh, nobody has been able to defeat this team uh, so far this season. Indeed. So Hyundai leading the way a little under the halfway point of the season. They are the team to beat, it seems, this year. Uh, we'll see how they fare for the rest of the season. In the meantime, we'll wrap it up there for our roundup today. Jiho, thank you for those stories and we'll see you again soon. Okay, thanks for having me. Hello, this is Tiger JK of Drunken Tiger. You are now listening to Korea 24. We finish up the show as usual with our closing segment, Morning Edition Preview, where we take a look at some interesting features reports coming out in tomorrow's newspapers, namely the Korea Times and the Korea Herald, who we thank for providing us with their early editions to make this segment possible. And for that, we're joined in the studio today by Katie Sha, who is filling in for our staff editor, Richard. Uh, Katie, hello. It's uh, good to see you. Hi, good to see you. Yes, welcome to the show. Thank you. Okay, so we're looking at just one story today. And what do you have for us? Yeah, so today we have a really interesting article by Hwang Dong-hee. And it can be found in the culture section of the Korea Herald. 
It's about a Joseon royal banquet that's being brought back after 120 years in a stage recreation. Okay, so it's a stage recreation. Mm -hmm. So uh, when we say banquet, we're not talking about recreation of the food as such, but I believe we're talking about recreation of the uh, musical and performance elements of the uh, banquet. Yes, that's correct. So uh, tell us more then. What is the history behind this banquet? So according to Huang, the last royal banquet was held in 1902, and it was held to mark the 40th anniversary of Emperor Gojong's ascendance to the throne, uh, in addition to his 51st birthday. So this banquet, or Imin Jinyeon, as it's called in Korean, was the last royal banquet of the 500-year-long Joseon dynasty. Okay, and this performance, it's being held at the National Gulak Centre, right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, it's being directed, uh, sorry, it's being directed by Park Dong-woo, who says that the detailed preparation for the performance took a year. And Kim Young-un, who is the chief of the Kugak Center, uh, says that the records of this banquet were actually extremely detailed. So their recreation is going to be based on a combination of Joseon-era royal protocols, as well as some folding screen paintings that they had. Right, so it sounds like it's going to be very thorough. Uh, what can audiences expect from this recreation then? So the audience actually gets the pleasure and the luxury of viewing the performance from the perspective that the king would have watched the banquet <laughs> from. Uh, and they'll even be served drinks by performers who will be dressed as members of the royal family in a type of recreation of how they would have been serving the king. Mm. So they would have got a bit of a drink as well, so the audiences, right? I believe we get a little bit of a drink, so that okay. sounds lovely, yeah. Uh, and the show is also going to incorporate uh, a lot of music and several dance performances, so there's going to be plenty for the audience to take in. Um, and in addition, the center's chief, Kim Young-un, hopes that audiences will be inspired by the elaborate display of Korea's cultural heritage. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be a very special performance indeed. Okay, we're going to have to wrap it up there for Morning Edition Preview. Thank you for bringing us that story, Katie, and we'll hopefully see you again soon. Thank you. And that's where we wrap it up for our show today. Thank you for staying with us. Uh, we'll be back same time tomorrow, so do join us again then for more news, views and reviews from Korea. Till then, we hope you have a great day. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you as always for listening. Goodbye. ABS World Radio. Yeah, yeah. Huh. You ready? Let's go.